and uh, getting started a couple minutes late due to some technical issues. But boy, do we have a good show in store for you today. Yep, man. Um, interesting night last night. Uh, as we talk about the natty. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was unexpected. I knew Georgia was good and they were going to be dominant, but I didn't expect them to be that dominant. I expected TCU to at least put up a fight, and they did not. They they were gridlocked on all sides of the ball. Georgia just showed how powerful and how much of a powerhouse that they have become in these last two years. Well, and, and that's something that you know I definitely want to dive into, not only from the perspective of uh, what happened last night, but the the overall perspective of uh, college football uh, in general. And so uh, I do want to take a look at that. But before we do that, I, a couple of uh, updates on some things that we talked about yesterday in the NBA. Uh, first off, we talked about Anthony Davis being injured for the Lakers. Right. It does uh, appear based off of his own... Uh, uh, reports yesterday that he's going to be able to return in a few weeks. So so my question is, because we talked a lot about the fact that LeBron uh, laments the fact that, hey, listen, we haven't really done anything. We're not making any moves. You know, we talked about the fact that Pat Beverly is, is apparently telling people within his inner circle, listen, I want out of this situation. So I, I think if you're the Lakers now... You've got Anthony Davis saying, listen, I'm going to get healthy. We're going to ramp this thing up. I think you've got to take that into consideration, the fact that he will be back uh, fairly quickly mm. when you're looking at your trade deadline. You know, what what pieces are you going to move? Who, who do you maybe put on the market? Who are you bringing in? Those kind of things. Not for the sense of, like I said yesterday, not for the sense of placating LeBron. I think you've got to take him out of the equation. Uh, but just to kind of say, hey, this is what our roster is going to look like for the rest of the season going into the summer. Anthony Davis, I say, if he has, if he is under the notion that you know he'll be back in a few weeks or whatever, then uh, regarding regarding his, you know, he's always got some kind of ankle or foot injury or something, mm-hmm. some kind of protection. I don't know if they, you know, he wears any ankle braces or what, but some kind of protection is going to have to be uh, instilled to say like, hey, okay, we're going to need you for the long stretch. You know, we can yeah. only go so far. We're going to do so much, but we're going to need you and your shooting skills and your athleticism along, uh, down the stretch. And so I believe, you know, he'll, he'll be healthy enough, but can he stay healthy? And it will play a big part in the Lakers uh, making a run in the playoffs, if possible. Um, as we, you know, last night's game kind of, kind of pro- proved something for them. Uh, they didn't play a bad game. It wasn't a horrible game. They did end up losing to the Nuggets, um, but it wasn't a horrible game that they played. But it did prove that they can hang in there because it was close for a while, and. Them being able to do that with the Nuggets, the top team in the West, you're looking at a team that's like I said yesterday is that if they get going and they get healthy, it's a very dangerous team. Uh, and I think Anthony Anthony Davis joining the team again, it will make some room for you to be able to look at look at the team and say, okay, now now that he's back, who can I move into position and who can I take out of position? Um, 
you would hate to see some of the guys go, but it's one of those things where you have to consider, um, okay, who fits best at this moment with the team? Because you're looking at the long-term stretch, not just in this moment. Because like I said, this is the second half of the season. This is crunch time, you know, as you get ready to move into a playoff season. And so with this, this move, like you said, you don't want to placate LeBron James, but you want to look at the team as a whole. Um, I don't know who's out there in free agency and on the free agent market. Uh, Kimball Walker um, may indeed hit that market, but yeah, it I, appears that he's going to. He's yeah, waivers I, and be out there as a free agent. And, and we're still far enough away from the trade deadline. Yeah, uh, that's not for another month, really. Right. And so we're well, far enough away that you know names are starting to get floated, but there's not a real set market about you know this person for sure is going to be out there or this person's not. Uh, who's going to be a buyer? Who's going to be a seller? And I think a lot of teams are waiting on the Lakers because the Lakers can set the market here. Yeah. If if you know that Anthony Davis, you know, is coming back, and you know, uh, you know that hey, this is the direction that we're going to go and the philosophy we're going to have moving forward, this is kind of where we're sitting in the playoff picture, maybe you do you know, look at moving a bigger piece, maybe you move some smaller pieces, whatever the case may be, because if Pat Beverly truly wants out, you got to get rid of him. Because this is a guy who is notorious for, hey, I'm, I'm going to assert myself into the, the organization. Well, I mean, uh, right out the gate, you know, he yeah. comes out and they ask him, well, what about playing with LeBron, AD, and... Westbrook, he said, well, they got to play with me. Yeah. You know, and, and so he views himself. He's he's viewed himself that way for years now. He was brought in for the mental toughness to be that guy, uh, to kind of fit Coach uh, Darvin Ham's philosophy. Well, and so if he truly wants out, I think that's a conversation. It, I mean, it definitely is. I think it didn't. he got into L.A., uh, the Lakers, and it didn't quite work out how everybody visualized it you know everybody thought okay man he's going to be a great piece to have defensively I mean he is that guy but I think it's a different philosophy and a different team's team mindset where you know he's still trying to fit in yeah you know and there's nothing wrong with that I think if Pat Beverly really gave it some time if he really gave it you know took the opportunity as it is, mm-hmm. you know, it could be great. You know, you never know what could happen. I, but him calling to be, you know, well, I want to go back to Minnesota. And, that, and this is, from what I, uh, all reports, you know, these are conversations within his camp. Yeah. They're kind of being leaked. But the question always comes down to this. Who's leaking it? Because if there's only two or three people in a room, who who's the one saying, hey, listen, this is... These are the conversations. Yeah, and, some, and when things are being leaked, they're always leaked for a reason. Right. And, so and somebody and is... is uh, Wanting to put everybody on notice that, hey, Pat Beverly is not happy with the direction of the But league. if it's somebody in his camp, that's like... I wouldn't say it's confidential news, but it's like, okay, it's a little, you know, within us conversation. Within this yeah. group, this, leaves, this doesn't leave, you know, this group. Um... So there, there is mumblings and you know whispering outside of his group, you know, if it if it's not true, then he needs to come forward and say, hey, like you know that's a misunderstanding. 
But if sources can back it up and, you know, he's not coming forward and he hasn't made any kind of comment as of late. He won't tell. Yeah. I, do you give him that out? Well, I, I, it, it depends on, again, I think it depends on what direction the Lakers going to go with this trade deadline. What's being offered? You know, if it's... And here's the other thing that you have to consider. If you're going to keep LeBron James, the draft means nothing. Because he's not going to let you keep them anyways. So you're not going to be trading players for draft picks. You're going to be trading players for players. If if there's a possibility because, you know, LeBron can't get traded until this summer because of the new contract extension that he just signed. Right. So, but if you know ahead of time, hey, we're going to go into this summer, we're going to shop the market. We're going to see what LeBron James is worth in today's NBA, then maybe you do trade a Pat Beverly for a player and a couple of draft picks. You know, or maybe yeah. you do trade a Russell Westbrook for a player and some draft picks. You know, I, I think it all depends on what you want your philosophy to be. Right. But I think, okay, if you bring up those two, say you put them in a package deal, then them together is worth a draft pick, uh, a, you know, a draft pick and a couple of players. Yeah. You know, them together. Them apart, no. They're worth a couple of players, not a draft pick. And here's why. Because they're both up in age. They're pretty much... Westbrook isn't past his prime. He's still in it. It's still in his prime. Uh, but Pat Beverly, on the other hand, on the other end, he's a little bit older. Uh, he's been in the league for a, while, for a minute. And so you may get might may get another a player out of him. But like you said, it's all about what you're looking at doing with your team. What's your philosophy, mm-hmm. especially on defense because that's going to be the biggest impact for the Lakers going into this, you know, playoff season. When I go back to that's why you hired Darvin Ham in the first place. Exactly. Is because you wanted to bring in a guy who want to establish a mental toughness. Mm-hmm. We're going to get back in transition. We're going to play good defense. And that was the whole reason, the whole premise behind hiring him. And when LeBron was off the court, it worked like a charm. But there's something about putting LeBron in that rotation that seems to just kind of change everything yeah. with the, the way that well, they play, the approach that they take, yeah. you know, some of his rotations. But here's what I've been saying for the longest about when LeBron's on the court is he doesn't LeBron is a leader on the court. He obviously knows the game. He knows how it works, the ins and outs. He know all this stuff. That's great. He doesn't have that field general presence. Cause I mentioned this a few times, uh, in the past about Rajon Rondo being that field general, you know, he's able to set the tone for the offense, you know? LeBron tries, but he doesn't have that presence about him. Like, when LeBron's on the court, everybody knows, okay, that's LeBron James. You're going to respect him. But yeah. most of the time, when LeBron is on the court, LeBron is doing what LeBron is wanting to do. He's not, you know, he's passing the ball, but it's not that, it's, it's a very specific presence. Because you knew when Rajon Rondo got on the court, just like Chris Paul, you knew when those guys got on the court that they're going to make a huge impact in this game. Mm-hmm. You know, whether they're shooting or not, but it's just they're, them seeing, being able to see the court, play their position very well. Um, 
and get the ball and run the play like it's supposed to be ran with with finesse. Mm-hmm. It's not the case with LeBron. A lot of times you will see LeBron get the ball and just drive straight to the hole from one end of the court to the other. Even late in ball games where yeah. he has no business taking the shot. Right. That's my thing with him. It, it, there are times where you would think he has no basketball awareness at right. all. Like he's not aware of the clock. He's not aware of the situation. Yeah. He just he, he gets it but and he goes. Lakers right now are looking for that. They're missing that presence. I mean, yeah, you have LeBron James. He doesn't. He doesn't carry that presence. If LeBron was to carry that presence, if he presence, if he was to somehow obtain it, then that'd be great for the Lakers. But it's a, like I said, it's a very specific presence, and you know it when you see it. Um, but that's what the Lakers are missing right now, and it's a key leadership on that offense and on that court. You look at them now, yeah, they're scoring, yeah, they're running the plays, but there's no real key leadership on that court. So, I, I think Anthony Davis has it more than LeBron. Well, I do too, and that's why I think his return, yeah. you know, now that you see, okay, it's, it's not going to be too terribly long. Yeah. We're going to get him back before we have to make concrete decisions. Now, a lot of it is going to depend on can you win ball games, right? You know where when he comes back, where is the can, team? Yeah, can he pick up where he lo- left off? Uh, yes, you I know, think that's a big key. Yeah, because Anthony Davis, when he left off, he was scoring forty points a game. You know, yeah. forty plus points a game. He was doing real good, which was which was tragic when he went down because okay, you lost that, and LeBron somewhat picked it up, but it wasn't to its full extent. AD is just the game changer that the Lakers need, and he, like I said, he carries that presence more uh, than LeBron does. It's not on the same level as Rajon Rondo or Chris Paul, but you know when AD's on the floor. Okay, if we don't, uh, if the, we don't contain this guy, he can single handedly change the momentum of this game mm-hmm. and put his team in a position to win. So yeah, it's important for a, for AD to be healthy and remain healthy further along down the stretch. Um, because it's gonna it's gonna determine how far uh, Lakers go in the playoffs and how well they play as an offense and the defense as a team as a whole, and, and determine you know kind of where they sit going into that February 9th trade deadline. Yeah. Uh, the other uh, bit of NBA news that came in uh, yesterday afternoon was that Kevin Durant's gonna miss a month with an MCL strain. Now Brooklyn yeah. did uh, win their last game previously to that. They're gonna be off till Thursday. So they're going to have time to kind of regroup, take a breath, see what they're going to do. But, you know, ever since, and we talked about this after the show as we were preparing for this one, and I, I told you, but ever since the Achilles injury there in Golden State, it, uh, it's kind of been a recurring theme yeah, with Durant. And it's, it's very naggy because it's, it's, it's like one I said thing yesterday. After the other. It's when he gets going, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he can't catch a breather. And I hate it for him because. As we all know, Kevin Durant is a very, very talented player. You know, he's gifted, great player. He's gonna go into the, he's gonna be into go into the Hall of Fame as one of the top best players in the league. But with this injury, it's almost like with, with Kobe Bryant. You know, mm-hmm. when when Kobe Bryant tore tore his Achilles and came back, it was a nagging injury one after the other, which ultimately ultimately led to his uh, retirement. You know, because he like okay, this is. Too much on my body. I'm not going to put my body through that, you know. And Kevin Durant is at the age. He's still young enough that he has 
um, maybe another decade, probably under his belt in the league. When we talk about how long, you know, Kevin Durant's going to play, a couple of things. Number one, we have to think about his production. It, right. it hasn't dovetailed. You know, it's not like he suddenly can't play basketball. It's not that he can't score. It's not that no. he can't take over an offense. And the other thing is, why does Kevin Durant play basketball? Kevin Durant is very concerned about his legacy in the game. Where right. does he fit, you know, in the conversation? So he's not a guy who's going to say, okay, well, I've got this nagging injury and this one and this one, so I'm just going to walk away because he knows that if he walks away today, he will be a Hall of Fame player. Statistically speaking, there's no question that Kevin Durant is a Hall of Fame basketball player. Indeed. But he knows that as of today, he does not fit an all-time great status. Because everybody looks at that championship in Golden State and says, well, you picked a cheap one off, then you went here and you kind of ripped them off, then you went there, you know, and you bounced around, you you never really ran the show, you know, and then you had that old spurt in Brooklyn where he wanted the coach fired. If the coach didn't get fired, then trade me, and then he doesn't get traded, and the coach gets fired. I mean, you know, all of this back and forth. So because of that, he's very concerned about if I walk away now, if I say, that's it, I, I'm done, I'm not going to keep rehabbing, I'm not going to keep working, he knows if he does that now, he's going to walk away and everybody's going to say, well, there's a Hall of Famer, but he wasn't great. Yeah. And I think that's something else that, that we have to think about when we think about it, especially these NBA players. They all want to figure out where they fit. You know, where's that legacy in the tier of greatness? You know, where... Where do they match up with uh, Michael and Kobe and yeah. uh, Magic and Bird and, and different players like that? And Kevin Durant famously has said, listen, I, I'm concerned about that. I want to be remembered as a great basketball player. And so when we look at you know these nagging injuries, I think we have to remember that he's playing for his legacy. He's playing to be remembered, not just in five years or ten years or fifteen, but down the line. He yeah. wants people to go, oh, that's Kevin Durant. That was a great basketball right. player. Now, will he ever get there? I don't know. You know, I think you have to win one in Brooklyn, and then if you go somewhere else, I think you have to win another one. I, I think he's going to have to prove, you know, to the league that, hey, I can run a team. I can be that guy. I don't have to go to Golden State or somewhere else well, and pick see, one off. That's why I said... If he he because he is that guy, you know I believe Kevin Dur- Kevin Durant is very well capable of running a team by himself. You know by himself, I I do. Uh, he has the skills. He has the leadership skills. He's not as he he never was the egotistical. He he never was too big on his ego. Um, yeah. I kind of like him to liking him as like the lone wolf in the, the in the NBA. You know. Um, you don't see him hanging around too many, too many guys. You know, you just don't. You and don't he doesn't see really him like promote that. his brand or no. anything. He just plays basketball. Yeah, he plays basketball. But him being concerned about his legacy and how that shapes out, I think it has a lot to do with okay, like you said, figuring out where he fits in as a player. Because I've said this about, we talked about this once about on the show about LeBron James. You know him wanting the same respect that Kobe got, you know? Yeah. 
that's not going to happen because Kobe Bryant was Kobe Bryant. Michael Jordan's Michael Jordan. They all did something. Magic Johnson's Magic Johnson. Bird's Bird. But they all did something very unique. They had a unique mm-hmm. ability about their game that stood out from the rest. That nobody else no, had. Exactly. And so it's the same with LeBron. And it's going to be the same with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant has something that's unique about his game that's going to stand out. That's going to put him... Maybe, you know, if he continues to play along down the stretch and win more championships, that's going to put him in the category of his own. Yeah. And if he's looking at that and saying, okay, that's either that's good enough or that's all I you know, want it is to be able to look, you know, down, you know, down the road and say, okay, I fit in this category or I've put myself in a category of my, you know, of my own. Because these guys, these legends, rather who are the greats, they have honed their craft. Magic Johnson was known for, they call him Magic for a reason. He had great passing skills. It, you know, uh, Larry Bird, shoot your lights out. Um, Reggie Miller was the same way. Michael Jordan, his mental toughness. Yeah, I mean, yes, he, he's in a class of Yeah, his own. he's up there. He's at the pinnacle. Kobe Bryant, right under him. So, uh, LeBron James, one of the most dominant players in the league as of right now, and so you you take that and that's their categories, and so I'm I'm very well pleased I'm pleased with you know KD and saying that hey I'm concerned about my legacy you know I want to win games that's yeah. important but I want people to remember me for something specific not because I did I went to Golden State I left my team and somehow pick off a, you know, a, a championship. But I want to be known for something that I did, you know, something that's me um, in my game. And so with him in Brooklyn, I think he has a chance in Brooklyn. Of course, he has Kyrie Irving uh, and a couple of more pieces around and, and him. And with these nagging injuries, that, that also is going to affect their trade deadline in the sense of do you need yeah. to add a piece? Yeah. But yeah because that, this is going to be something that's exactly. going to be recurring. Yeah. Be- I think it'll help them. Um, because if he's going to be out for a month, then you do go look at a Kimber Walker then. Yeah. You do, uh, you do entertain that, um, that signing. Maybe you look at a Russell Westbrook if yeah. he suddenly hits the market, uh, but, just to add, you know, some, yeah. some points. But you look at, you entertain that because you're going to need somebody to fill that, that void on your team. And, and, and two, as you're looking at that landscape and talking about adding another piece, it's not what it would have been a month ago. If a month ago we were talking about adding another piece, people were still a little leery about, you know, that whole situation. <coughs> but now they've been winning. Everybody seems to be on board with what's going on. So I think you're going to be more prone to guys saying, okay, I'll go there. You right. know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested or I'm open to the possibility of, of getting traded uh, there to Brooklyn. But definitely something to, to look for, right, because, you know, as they yeah, move forward. You're going to want to catch that. They're going to want to catch that wave. and Yeah. Uh, you know, and maybe somebody else wants to go pick off the championship yeah, uh, with, yeah. with Kevin Durant. Right. Well, we, we mentioned it at the opening of the show. What a skunking last night in the national championship. I mean, was that even a football game? We we turned it, We had a watch party here. We turned it off. Yeah, man. Going in the second cook, half, we had a Madden tournament that was more entertaining than that. everything. And by halftime, it was 31-7. And we said, that's enough. Yeah, <laughs> that we've is seen a, so, so here's enough. the stats. And if I told you that this was a national championship game, there's no way you'd believe me. No. 
589 yards of total offense for Georgia, 188 for TCU. TCU had 152 through the air. Uh, Georgia had 335. TCU had 36 rushing yards total for the ball game. Georgia had 254 yards. TCU averaged 3.7 yards per play, while Georgia averaged 8.2. Wow. You, you don't get more lopsided than that. No. But, okay, if you could go back and look at uh, TCU's rushing yards against Michigan, I would say that what they had last night was maybe 10% of what they had against Michigan because they ran a lot against Michigan. They did. Um I Georgia is just like I said, I was I was pulling for TCU because it's a Texas team. It kinda adds that uh what we talked about earlier in our show is it adds that Cinderella story that ended that Cinderella feel to it because you have this Big Twelve school against this big SEC school who is number one in the nation. And you thought, okay, maybe if TCU can come in and they can put up a fight, you know, score and be, you know, somewhat, um, I don't want to say dominant because that, that's yeah. opposite of what they did last night. But. Well, and, and to your point about the rush yards, uh, TCU had 263 against Michigan. See, okay, that's a little had bit of a 488 total yards of offense against Michigan compared to... See, okay, yeah, they did nothing last night. It okay, was... but here, here's the a couple, of, just a few takeaways I wanted to highlight. Number one, Stetson Bennett is a great story. Uh, you go back, you yeah. you hear that story. Uh, at one point, you know, Kirby Smart says, "Listen, I like you. I think you've got some tenacity." But I'm going to go get Justin Fields, so he transfers out, goes to a junior college there in Georgia, comes back to Georgia, you know, gets the starting job. Wins a national championship. Wins another national championship. Uh, one scout. Uh, you know, Kirby Smart. So after the game, Kirby Smart made this big case of, hey, I think he is an NFL player. I think he's a guy. And uh, one scout's already said, listen, he, he probably is. Maybe a lower round guy. Going to get drafted. But since a minute, played his heart out uh, last um, night. Most, yeah. Uh, you know, with his legs, with his arm. He's a good quarterback. I think he's a formidable quarterback. Yeah. Do I think he's going to be a star in the NFL? No, I don't. But do I think he can make a team better? Yes, I do. Uh, and then on the other side uh, for Georgia, on the other side of the football, that defense is ferocious. Now, that defensive front, they, man, they get it. after it. Yeah, that front line took it to TCU's offensive line. I mean, I thought... Gave you know, them the businesses. Because I, I said yesterday on the show that you know TCU's front four was ferocious. They could not do anything against uh, Georgia's front line, offensive line. But Georgia's front four on defense. That was ferocious. You thought they were good last year when they had Jordan Davis. But goodness, man, this year it was probably even better. Because those guys are big, they're athletic, they're physical, and they just know how to just... One of the things that I, I, and I hope, I hope... I want to talk about too soon because we'll talk about it here in a minute. Is that the Cowboys are looking at something and looking at something because their run defense is crazy. Oh yeah, crazy, insane. Yeah, yeah. and when you look at looking at T, uh, TCU, who had 
230 plus rushing yards against Michigan. And Michigan was supposed to be that old school it, football, hard nose, take it to you. Exactly. And it and, didn't happen. And Georgia stopped all that. Oh, yeah. They said that. that's it. Now, do I think, you know, I still say maybe Georgia's 1B to Alabama's 1A, you know, uh, but they're starting to climb that ladder to get on an even kill. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was a couple of the commentators last night you know, on the pregame <laughs> show said at halftime, you know, talking, and Nick Saban just kind of looked at him. Well, I'm, that, I'm so still at Alabama. Nick Saban was, to me, it's almost like looking at secondhand embarrassment because you hear these guys talking about how great Georgia is, and they're in the midst of Nick Saban. The yeah, top, the, 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 the goat. The, yes. And he just sit, they put him right dab in the middle of him. Well, and not he's only just that, but like there. I told you, that is Nick Saban's son. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, like he, he wouldn't be this that. good. Yeah. He wouldn't be the coach that he is. Like, but, I mean, you, you, have, you have to give it to Nick Saban for having so much class in that moment. Oh, yeah. You know, because I said it last night during, you know, the pregame is that he never said, uh, um, or agreed with anything they said. Rather, he picked apart what was good, what was yep. bad. He, yeah. he did a great job yeah, analyzing he, yeah. that. And so he he did it with class because we're looking at that and, and we're saying, "Are you serious?" <laughs> like you're saying all that about Georgia, but yeah. Alabama, you know, he's Al- Nick Saban. Yeah, and I'm not the Nick Saban. I'm not an Alabama fan, but oh, I, I, Tide. I have respect for Alabama, and so. I, well, okay, I'm a Nick Saban. Okay, well, fan. I have respect for, yeah, you're right. I have respect for Nick Saban. Not Alabama, especially not this year's team. Well, I think Alabama's got a legacy. If Lane Kiffin goes to Alabama, I'll root for Lane Kiffin. But I'm I'm not a Alabama fan. I'm a Nick Saban guy because, I mean, he's just set that standard. But credit to Kirby Smart. Yeah. Uh, what they've got going there in Georgia, I think you continue <laughs> you know, to dominate the yeah. SEC. But something I, I really wanted to hit on, We've got another year of four teams. So we've got another year under this current format where, you know, the committee's got to get together, they got to pick their four teams, all of that. This ends, in my opinion, the chance for Cinderella teams. There yeah. was an argument made last year, you know, when Cincinnati got blown out uh, by Alabama. You know, there, there was that argument to begin with. I think it just got made worse last night. And here's why. So everybody, well, TCU beat Michigan. We're talking about a Michigan team that now it's coming out knew that Jim Harbaugh had one foot out the door before the game ever got started. We're talking about a Michigan team that had already been informed that, hey, next year you're going to be sanctioned by the NCAA. We're talking about a Michigan team that came out as flat as flat could be after, I mean, dominating Ohio State. Flat-footed. We're not talking about the same Michigan team that dominated Ohio State. They ain't even look the same. No. Uh, the rushing attack wasn't there. The 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 aggressiveness on defense wasn't there. I mean, we're not talking about the same football team. So it, it, it felt like, you know, TCU just got away with one. You know, you sucker punch a kid and you run off and <laughs> you feel like you won the fight. Like that that's kinda what it felt like <clears throat> with TCU. And I kept telling people, listen, they beat Michigan but but Georgia's a different dog. Right. I mean, no pun intended, but they're they're a different dog. And they learned that last night. And if you're the committee, here's the thing. College football is a business. 
And as it stands, that committee's job is to put the four teams in that'll sell the most tickets, have the highest ratings, and provide the best entertainment. You had people all over the country tune out of a national championship game at halftime. They did what we did. They turned it off. I mean, there's nothing to see yeah. there. Well, and and it, we, we've got a show. Like, we yeah. use this as part of our business. And we're like, okay, we've, we've got all our information yeah, for tomorrow. Yeah, because we... It was clear by halftime that who was the better team. Well, there were, it was clear after the first drive. Like, yeah, well, it, as so soon as you fumbled the ball on the reverse, I said, oh, that's it. Yeah, as they said in the pregame before, uh, you know, the game started, they said in the pregame, you know, you don't want them to get behind a team like Georgia. Well, by second half, uh, that's what they meant. Oh yeah, they were by that point they were twenty four points behind, and there was nothing they could do about it. No, because I, <laughs> and you saw they TCU had no answers on either side of the ball yeah, for it, what was going on. Their corners was getting cooked yeah, by they, a guy that had murder. tendonitis. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they were, credit to him. Yes, I, I, he went off last night. He okay, but that just shows you, man, the the heart. And the the just ability, the strong ability that Georgia has. I mean, sixty five points with a kid that has tendonitis and the sprain. And, and I mean, and, and that was them being nice. You know, uh, Kirby Smart did the classy thing, let Stetson Bennett get a standing ovation his last game. Yeah. You know, in front of the fans, and and they did the the right thing. You know, because I I saw that it going into the fourth quarter. I told y'all, I said they could score eighty tonight. You know, and you already set the record. You've got, you know, the most points scored uh, in the national championship you, game. By that point, you... Whoever you, bet the over last night, they're banking this morning. Yeah, they way. went... They laughed all the way to the bank this morning. <laughs> but TCU, I, I, I can't even tell you better luck next year because I don't even know if you want to be in that position next year, uh, to be honest, especially if Georgia or even Alabama... Is is who you got to play? Uh, whoever, I don't think a Big Twelve team will make it. Maybe I, I don't think so. I think the committee watched that last night and said that's bad. That can happen again. And, and it goes back to what I was saying. Te- this is why there's an argument. Even though the twelve team playoff format is going to help with this, there's still going to be that argument that hey, you take the Big Ten, you take maybe USC, maybe UCLA. You take the SEC and you move them all into one monster but, conference. Oh yeah, okay. But the adding the 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 smaller conference school to the fourteen playoffs, I guess you say will add some fairness, quote unquote, to the the charts because it's like well, you, well, when, you, the, when we go to twelve, they're automatically in. Yeah, because you're guaranteed well, a spot okay. if you win the conference. Exactly, and well, that's fair, but. With these four teams, it's like, okay, you got you can't have everybody in that four teams from the SEC. You can't have Georgia. You can't have Alabama. You can't have Tennessee or LSU. That wouldn't look right. That wouldn't balance the college football world out. No, but but I think you've got to be careful as for the next year. And now, like I said, once we go to twelve teams, they're guaranteed a spot. And all of that, you're going to have some at-large bids. And I think when you get to 12 teams, you kind of weed those things out. Right. right. You're not going to have a blo- – you shouldn't 
have a blowout national championship game. Yeah. But as it sits with four teams, you can sneak that Cinderella story in there. They sucker punch that two or three spot, and now all of a sudden they're in the national championship game that they really have no business being in, right? Right. And, and so you've got one more year of that. And I just don't see, I mean, unless something you know greatly changes, I don't see a scenario where next year we get a team like TCU in there. I think they look around and go, you lost to Kansas State, and this was my argument from the beginning. You lost your conference yeah. to Kansas State. Alabama's, t- I mean, and, and for all intents and purposes, kind of fell apart. And it wasn't a blowout loss or anything, but you didn't play well. Alabama's only two losses were on the road by one point to what, at the time, when they played, were top teams in the country. Tennessee was... You know, a top five team in the country when they lost uh, there in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And when they lost in Baton Rouge, LSU was still in the playoff. Matter, matter of fact, Tennessee was top three. Yeah, they, they were in they the either, top. They were either one or two. Uh, uh, I think they were Georgia. two going into that, yeah. that game. So, you're talking about a top-end team when you play them. Mm-hmm. Kansas State was never a top-end team at any point. So, a loss to Kansas State... It's a loss to Kansas State, a team that, oh, by the way, Alabama dominated in their bowl game. Right. So I, I think that the committee is going to look at the totality of that situation, and they're going to say, you know what, that's bad for business. That's not good. It's not what we're wanting. And so I think next year you're going to see a push. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I think you're going to see a push where we're going to let two SEC teams in because they're from the SEC and we want the best football in the country for, you know, the last two weeks of the season. Yeah. I, 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 you know, we talked about this. I do think Alabama deserves a chance uh, to get in there, but then you have, you have teams like you, like USC, you know, USC just simply lost their way out of it. Uh, And it's sad because they have, they have a very good team. Yeah. But, they just lost their way out of it. But, you know, say that happens next year. You know, USC, you know, they continue to be the dominant offensive team uh, that they are that plays good defense. And, you know, they go on they win their conference. They win the big the, – uh, not the Pac-12. They win the Pac-12 and they go undefeated. Okay, what about them? Do you, do you oh, say – Oh, they're in. Yeah. Yeah, USC's in because Garrett Riley's there. I mean, uh, not Garrett Riley. He, that's the little brother that yeah. from uh, Lincoln Riley's there. Golly, we go live and I start making all of these <laughs> mistakes. I don't know, but Lincoln Riley's there. Uh, he's a big name. You know, he's been there, done that in Oklahoma. So we're accustomed to seeing him right yeah. on the big stage. I, I think they have no. I think they wanted USC. They they were trying everything in their power. Right, keep USC well, it was between them and Alabama. It kind yeah. of, well, TCU, yeah. Alabama, and U- USC. But if, if USC wins, TCU's not in. No way. Right, because we had said, yeah. I, I said myself, that's a better story than that. Because I, I think they wanted Ohio State in even over TCU. Wow. I, I think o- Ohio State got in and TCU got in because USC lost. I think if USC wins, TCU loses, I think you have USC and Ohio State. Or... USC and Alabama, you know, interchangeably. But I think TCU would have been the odd odd team out. Well, we're going to kind of shift gears real quick because we're going to have our first guest on the show. Yeah. Yeah, boy. 
we get to we get to show you, or rather, you hear. Uh, he's one of our sources uh, that we talk about on the show. You know, when we get news um, from the uh, NFL side of things, and uh, he's a very very liable source. So yeah, we got him. We got him on call right now. Hello. Well, good morning, Mr. Henderson. How you doing? Doing great. And you? Oh, doing great. Glad to have you on the show today. Thanks. Glad to be with you guys. Yes, sir. Well, so uh, you were the one about 11 o'clock uh, night before last. You uh, sent me the deal, the breaking news that Lovey Smith had been fired. I, I want to ask, was that a shock to people who cover the Texans? Not really. Uh, you know, I, I've covered them since their inception in 2002. And when Bob McNair, the original owner of the team, came in he ran it like a first-class operation and quite frankly when bob died about three years ago and his son cal took over cal i don't think has a clue what he's doing and of course in my opinion and that's that's a mistake i'd throw on to bob mcnair before he passed on bill o'brien was not a fit for the houston texans Mm. He had been with the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick for a number of years. <clears throat> and, of course, everybody knows the kind of ship that Bill Belichick runs. And he came down to Houston thinking that he was going to turn the Houston Texans into the New England Patriots south. And that's what he tried to do. He surrounded himself with people that had been with the Patriots and it didn't work. I mean, they did win a couple of division championships under O'Brien and actually won a couple of playoff games two different years over the Cincinnati Bengals, but then they could never get past that second round. And, of course, the biggest thing was O'Brien started dismantling the team when he traded arguably the best receiver in the NFL at the time, DeAndre Hopkins, to the Arizona Cardinals. And right after that trade, the Texans had a home game, and one of the guys asked Bill, said, why did you get rid of your star offensive player? And his answer was, I didn't like the way he practiced. Mm-hmm. My Lord, the guy gets on the field, and he is all over the field, up and down the field. You know, you don't dismantle a team that way just because you don't like the way somebody practices. So that was the beginning of the end of O'Brien. When he was terminated, then they hired David Culley, who was an assistant coach in the NFL. And David Culley was a super nice guy. But I could tell from the first press conference I ever went to in training camp in 2021, David Culley didn't have a clue how to be a head coach. Super nice guy. So they went, you know, four wins again, just like they had done before Bill O'Brien was fired after the 2020 season. They really wanted to hire Jacksonville's Josh McCown, who spent 18 years in the National Football League as a quarterback, bounced around, but made a ton of money, and was a good backup quarterback all 18 of those years. But some people say yes, some people say no. I tend to believe yes. I think the NFL office called Cal McNair and Nick Casario, the general manager, who, by the way, came down from the New England Patriots. Mm -hmm. And I think they told them, look, you have hired a black coach. 
You gave him one year, and you didn't give him a fair chance to turn this team around, and you fire him. Yeah. You better not come in here and give somebody with no coaching experience a four- or five-year contract. That's not going to look good. So, supposedly, the story that they spun, Casario and Cal, was, well, once we interviewed Lovey, he convinced us he was the guy. We think he's the guy that can turn this thing around. They actually gave Lovey a four-year contract. Mm -hmm. So, he's got three more years they got to pay him for if he doesn't go into the NFL somewhere else with a position. But... I really thought they would give him initially a second year and, you know, say, hey, you got to make the playoffs in year two or that's it. And I think they would have with, with the progress Lovey had made. But I don't think anybody was surprised. I thought there was a remote chance after they nearly beat the Cowboys, took the Chiefs to overtime, then beat the Indianapolis Colts before they played Jacksonville a week ago this past Sunday that they might give Lovey another year. But when he went up, and, or when the Jacksonville Jaguars, rather, came the last home game on New Year's Day and just blew the Texans out 31-3, to everybody in the press box was talking about it. We mm -hmm. knew beyond a shadow of a doubt Lovey was gone. Don't think it's fair, but there's a lot of stuff spinning out there now. They still, I think, want to hire Josh McCown but they've seen what Jeff Saturday did as an interim coach with no coaching experience in Indianapolis. So I think they may be souring a little bit on that. But we also heard a week ago Sunday at that Jacksonville game that Sean Payton has raised his eyebrows and might have a serious interest. If Payton is interested, they will hire Sean Payton if they can. Right. So do you think that Sean Payton's interest hinges on – the Texans' ability to draft Bryce Young at quarterback? You know, I'm I'm not real sure. Mm -hmm. I think he wants to be in the South, even though he was raised up on the East Coast. He loves the South. He's still got a couple of kids that are in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And there's also been the rumor floating around. I mean, Jerry Jones said many years ago, the biggest mistake he ever had was letting Sean Payton leave Dallas when he was on the Cowboys coaching staff. So I know Jerry would love to have him. There's also a pretty serious rumor that I think has a lot of truth to it floating around that if the Dallas Cowboys don't at least make it to the championship game, which means they'd have to win the wild card this Saturday against Tampa Bay and win the divisional playoff game to make it to the championship, that despite going... 12 wins each of the last two seasons that Mike McCarthy is probably going to be terminated. And there is no doubt in anyone's mind if Jerry called, Sean Payton would be on the next plane to Dallas. So is the is the thought process that Jerry's moving on from McCarthy to get Sean Payton, or is it that Jerry's just tired of McCarthy? I think the thought process, and it's hard to figure out what Jerry's thinking, because he will tell you one thing when you know that's not what he's thinking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But my personal opinion, being around him since 1989, my personal opinion is he's ready to move on from McCarthy if he can't get up to the championship game. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, they're on the road. 
the Cowboys have lost every single road playoff game for the last 30 years. It's been 30 years, believe it or not, since they won a road playoff game. Now, also very interesting, they'll go into the game against Tampa Bay Monday night with a 12-5 and record. And Tampa Bay will come in with an 8-9 and record. But everybody knows, despite what he's got to deal with, when the playoffs come, Tom Brady hits overdrive. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that the Cowboys can turn it around. After what I saw Sunday, the Gilmer Buckeyes could have beaten the Dallas Cowboys Sunday. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, it, you you know, know, I'm hoping they turn it around, but I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that they're going against Tom Brady on the road. Yeah, it, it definitely, you, we go into this weekend, you know, not only with the concerns about, you know, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but it definitely feels like we're going into this weekend uh, and Jerry Jones is just kind of ready maybe for a new chapter in, in Cowboys history here. Yeah, I would, I would totally agree with that because he was very upset they didn't beat the 49ers last year. And if, like I say, if they, with 12 wins again this year, if they can't beat a sub-500 playoff team, then Mike is gone. Right. I have no doubt about it. Now, of course, there's some other factors at play. The Denver Broncos have requested permission to talk to Sean Payton, mm-hmm. and the Saints had to approve it until, or if he visited with them, I believe, before the Super Bowl was over. Right. But the Saints approved it, even though he retired. With it. He had a year left on his contract. So technically, the Saints own him through the Super Bowl still. There's also been a rumor that the Saints are wanting to make a change, and he has considered going back to New Orleans. So without a doubt, the number one name in all of these coaching positions that are open, and there are like five of them, is Sean Payton. But a close second is Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn, and a pretty close third is Cowboys offensive coordinator Kellen Moore. So let me ask you, if if Jerry moves on from McCarthy and Sean Payton, you know, takes one of these other jobs, has there been any rumblings about Dan Quinn becoming the guy in Dallas? Oh, yes. That's, I would say, plan B. Mm-hmm. Because as you may well remember, Dan Quinn was asked to interview, I believe it was for the Atlanta Falcons job when it was open last year. Mm -hmm. He initially accepted and said, okay, I'm going to go interview. The Cowboys gave him permission. And then all of a sudden, Dan Quinn comes back and says, I'm not going to interview in Atlanta. I have unfinished business in Dallas. Right. Then it was revealed that Jerry did not want to lose Dan Quinn, and he gave him a what you would call an almost head coach salary for one of the lower head coaching salaries in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us believe, me included, that he told him, hey, if Mike doesn't work out and Sean's not available you will be the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And he may not have even put those two stipulations in there. He may have said you will be the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. The one thing in the Cowboys' favor with Denver in regard to Sean Payton, Kellen Moore, and Dan Quinn 
the Denver Broncos are almost in as big a mess as the Houston Texans are. Right. And I'm sorry, John Elway was a great, great quarterback, but he is not a general manager, and he <laughs> has made some horrific decisions at Denver. Right. So, let, uh, moving into this weekend, what are some things that uh, you would say are keys for the Cowboys to come out of that with a win? Well, number one, they've got to start strong. Yeah. Number two, they've got to solidify that offensive line. And mm-hmm. things started falling apart when Tyler Beatish, the center, got hurt. Mm-hmm. And the offensive line has been like a jigsaw puzzle. Will this piece go here? Oops, now let's try this piece. Nope, this piece doesn't work here either. And it's been a work in progress, and so far, pretty much a total failure. And that showed up really strong against the Commanders on Sunday. And everybody said, oh, my Lord, the Commanders were 7-8-1 going into that game. Yeah, they were. But their defense has been powerful all season long. So with all of the problems they've got on the offensive line, they've got to do that. The second thing that I think is just as important for whatever reason, and yes, they've had a couple of injuries, but the play on the back end, as they call it, the safeties, mm-hmm. has not been up to par these last few weeks. They're giving up a whole lot more yardage, missing their assignments, not staying in their positions, dropping into different positions, assuming they got help from a cornerback or something, and it had been happening. So they've got to figure out what in the world has happened here and why is our phone defense suddenly just mediocre. Yeah. And, and I think that's the two. Well, and, and that, that's been uh, kind of the point that he and I have been talking about on this show is, you know, this vaunted defense suddenly uh, is not the strength of the, the football team going into this weekend. No. No, it is not. And, and really, there's one other thing that's critical, and I think everybody knows this even without me saying it. Dak Prescott has got to play like a franchise quarterback and not like, and here again, I love Dak to death, but not like a third-string quarterback. He didn't even look like a backup quarterback on Sunday. 14 of 37 on the day. Yeah, I mean, just that 15 interceptions. That's tied for the most interceptions in the NFL this season. Yeah, and in a pivotal, uh, pivotal game, you know, as far as everything was still on the line uh, going into that ball game. It was. I mean, you know, not anybody really expected the Giants to beat the Eagles, mm-hmm. but it could have happened. Had the Giants played their starters, I think it would have happened. Right. The Giants played their third-string quarterback, their second-string offensive line, second- and third-string defense, and yet they still only lost by six points with Jalen Hurts playing the entire game. Yeah. And, and I think the Eagles are on, a downward, are on a downward slope, by the way. I don't think there's any way the Philadelphia Eagles, and I'm praying they won't, will get into the Super Bowl. Well, that, that's that's exactly our thoughts too. Yeah. You know that we were as we were kind of looking at the playoff picture, uh, that Philadelphia certainly you know does not appear uh, to be at the top of the NFC. Well, Ellen, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, you're going to possibly be covering the Cowboys game this weekend, correct? Yeah, I'm 
I'm tentatively planning on doing that. A lot depends, and I should know something later today or tomorrow, how many Dallas media are going. Uh, because of their record, I don't really think the whole bunch that might have gone otherwise will go. Uh, I, I'm going to say I think there's probably a 60-40 chance that I do get approved. I have applied. They have to send the list of visiting media to the home teams in the NFL on Tuesday afternoon. So I should know something late this afternoon or tomorrow at the latest. But, you know, I'd like to cover it. I've covered a Super Bowl in Tampa. love that stadium. I love that city. But I'm hoping maybe I can be the determining factor and we can come out with a win if I cover them. <laughs> well, that that would be great. Well, uh, again, Elwin, thanks for your time. I know you're out on the road and uh, certainly enjoyed having you on. And we'll try and schedule a call with you next week. Hey, I appreciate it. Hope you guys continue to do well with your show. I'm glad we got something like this in East Texas going. Yes, sir. Thank you. You bet. Have a great day. You too. Wow. Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, kind of what I pretty much figured with uh, the the Lovey Smith situation because I said the same thing yesterday when I found out the news uh, because I figured they you know get past the you know the the guck of the yeah. season because Lovey Smith had started to get that team going and that's when we you know I started saying hey Texas could be a, a sneaky good team. But whatever the Houston Texans do, I, I do think they have to really think uh, long and hard about you know where they, the future of that team and where they're wanting uh, where they're wanting it to go. Because if you hire a guy that isn't um, experienced, you could end up in the same position as the Colts. Yeah, you I, don't want that back-to-back season, you know, that happening back-to-back like that. So there, there's a couple of other things that uh, when when I get to a, a couple of things later on in the show that I want to touch on that he talked about, but uh, before we move on from the Lovey Smith uh, situation, Lovey Smith, great guy, genuine man, good football coach. Yeah. Actually, from right here in Big Sandy, it's where he played football. Uh, I had the privilege of coaching with a man who gave Lovey Smith his first coaching job. Yeah. Uh, coach Jeff Humphreys gave. Uh, Coach Smith, his first coaching job coming out of college, brought him back to Big Sandy and uh, put him on staff there. And, you know, having known people who were not only connected to him, but actually connected to Coach Tony Dungy, who brought him into the NFL, brought him into the fold, all of those things. Who, by the way, Tony Dungy is livid, you know, about yeah. this entire situation. But I, I said from the beginning, they are putting Lovey in a bad spot. Right. He's just the filler. If you were really going to move on, you shouldn't have never have hired uh, him because he was already on staff. If you really wanted to move on from what David Culley was doing there in Houston, you wanted to bring in you know this whole new type of offense and, and uh, defensive philosophy, you move on. Right. But it's it's like uh, Ellen you know shared with us that, that insight of hey, listen, there was a phone call, you know, there was a conversation about. We don't have enough black head coaches, which is a whole different conversation, by the way. But we don't have enough black head coaches in the NFL, so you've got to keep him. Right. At least give him a year, you know, to save face. You give him a better contract, but at least give him a year, and then you can go and get your guy. Now, who that guy is, 
I don't know. But but I hope that Lovey Smith lands on his feet somewhere if he wants to continue to coach. Maybe he doesn't at this point. But it was a sad situation. Uh, and, and by all accounts, he had that team playing hard. You know, yeah. They were buying into him, his philosophy, and all those things. But it, it goes back to what I say all the time. This is a business. And they're going to make business decisions. Whether they're right, wrong, indifferent, that's how these franchises, these colleges, and even these high school teams are run. That this is a business where in the business of winning football games, for whatever reason, they believe that they can, uh, you know, bring in a guy who's going to win more football games. Lovey Smith gets the short end of the deal. They cut him. They move on. And uh, so we'll see where that goes. I want to circle back to uh, a couple of things that we talked about yesterday uh, in regards to Jim Harbaugh. So Jim Harbaugh uh, gets informed that, hey, listen, you're going to get hit with some penalties, level one infractions, going to be a fine, possibly a, a two to five game suspension here. You know, he loses the game. Uh, to TCU, and by all accounts, he wants out. Like, yeah. it's not a, you know, does he, doesn't he type of situation. You know, last year, he, he kind of put his toe in the water. Right. right. He went, he talked to the Minnesota Vikings. He kind of said, hey, listen, if you're interested, I'm interested. There wasn't a whole lot of mutual interest there, so he said, listen, maybe that ship sailed. I just wanted to see what it would take for me to win a Super Bowl. You know, I was so close, but now I'm going to commit to Michigan. Right. That's not the case. Uh, no longer is that the case. There are people in his camp. There was a, a report that came out yesterday. Uh, the athletics Mike Sando had this in his pick six piece that he has heard from people close to Jim Harbaugh that he just simply wants back in the NFL. One source also told him that Harbaugh, who will interview virtually for the Broncos job sometime this week, will flat go to Denver if he is offered the job. Now, I want to talk about uh, the Denver job here in a minute, but just looking at this from Harbaugh's perspective, for whatever reason, he's ready to leave Michigan, You know, which is kind of shocking to me because he finally got to the top of the mountain. He beat Ohio State. He pummeled them this year. I mean, just dominated them this year. He owns the Big Ten as it stands right now, but maybe it's the, the show-cause penalties. Maybe it's the infractions. Or maybe it's just that he's bored. And maybe he's looking around and going, you know what, I don't know that I can win a national championship here, but I feel like if I take over a team, I can get back to the Super Bowl. Because you're talking about a guy who's you know, a few downs away you know, from mm-hmm. winning a Super Bowl against his brother of all people. Right. Uh, that falls through. And there's always been this sense that Jim Harbaugh you know, thought, oh, I'm, I'm that close. You know, I was that close. And, right. and there was always that conversation that eventually he was going to go back. But after, you know, last year you kind of felt like, okay, maybe he makes this a longer-term thing with Michigan. You know, he owns Michigan and Ann Arbor now. You know, they're willing to pay him. He's got all this control. But there's something going on there where now he's like, I'm out. See you all I, later. I believe, and I said this, this yesterday on the show when we talked about it, I believe he's looked and said, I believe I can do it again. Yeah, I believe that I can do it again. I want to do it again. He's just ready for the NFL. I don't think because it would sound when you look at the situation and and you know review it and however you look at it is that 
he's had he has all these things, these penalties coming against him, and now he's like he's trying to kind of be like escape, you know, get yeah. out. But I don't think that's the case. I think Jim Harbaugh, with you know, testing it, you know, last year, it was in his mind that I'm I'm ready, but I'm gonna give it a one more go here before I fully decide. Mm. Well, now he's fully decide. He had a good season this year, you know. Unfortunately, fell short uh, in the in the semifinals to TCU, but he's made his decision. You know, he wants to be back coaching in the NFL, and nothing wrong with that. But when you're carrying along uh, the these these stipulations and these penalties along with you, it kind of I'm not gonna say it gridlocks him, but it kind of like okay. Do you put that on hold and, you know, until this is up? Do you put the NFL on hold until, you know, this is up? You mm-hmm. you, you you sit out your penalties, you get that out, all out the way, and then you go to the NFL. So you don't have to go to the NFL with any extra luggage, you know? Right. Um, does he do that? You know, does he stay at Michigan another year and possibly give it another go? Because, uh, honestly, Michigan has the team to, to be able to do it again. I, I, I think you win the Big Ten. Yeah, you know, and I think you get back there, but you got to be looking at you got sucker punched by TCU, right? You got sucker punched by TCU, who, by the way, just got dominated last night. But you you were sucker about. punched because some news was leaked to your team and to your about staff. You, yeah. So okay, well, if you're going to put that in the equation, then you're looking at they already know everything now. It's out in the open. Mm-hmm. The penalties. The fines, all this, you want to go to the NFL, it's out in the open this next season if he stays. It's out in the open. So how does that team, do they look, you know, I'm not saying look past it, but do they get over it and say, you know what, it is what it is. We still have to run a program. We still have to play um, because we're looking at our careers now. Mm-hmm. It's not just about him, yeah. um, but it's about us and this team and, the, you know, this school. And so do you – Look past that. I would say you should, and play the game. He's your head coach. Sooner or later, you knew it was going to happen. Yeah, but you, we are still talking about, and I think we forget this with college football. We're still talking about guys who are 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, uh, and they're not used to having their head coach, you know, before a big game where you're still in it for a natty, yeah. saying, hey, I'm taking I'm Not only am I taking phone calls, I'm making phone calls to the Carolina Panthers to try and get a meeting with them. Even though it's characterized as not a quote-unquote formal interview, I'm trying to do this. Uh, and so I think that that plays into it. But then, uh, in a larger scale, the future of the Big Ten now. Mm-hmm. So if Jim Harbaugh leaves, we don't know you know, who might would be a front-runner for that Michigan job. Uh, but whoever that is, you're, you're going to have returning players you know, on both sides of the ball. Uh, that you're, you're set up in a good way. We don't know what the infractions are going to be specifically for the school as far right. as scholarships are concerned, all of those things. Uh, so you're going to have some moving pieces there. You've dominated Ohio State. The boosters are going to expect that again. But then you also have to look at the bigger picture of the Big Ten now. USC, UCLA, come on down. Yeah, it, it the, gets the run. It, it gets rocky, right? And Notre Dame still is in negotiations at some point, right, to possibly come into the Big Ten because they're looking around going, okay, if we stay independent, our chances go way down because then they're depending solely upon an at-large bid, even into the twelve-team playoff. Yeah. 
and I and I look at it w- with Michigan. If they were, if Jim Harbaugh was to leave and get whichever job in the NFL, I say Michigan hires from within. I say they 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 move offensive coordinator or defense coordinator to head coach. I don't see them uh, hiring from outside of the school or outside of the well, staff that's there now. Maybe not, but I think that depends. I mean, what kind of interest? Who's going to still be out there maybe that's a a leftover from the NFL that misses out on the coaching cycle? You know, I think there could be a lot of moving pieces because, you know, there was talk, and I want to talk about this in a little bit from our our takeaway, one of my takeaways from the interview. You know, there was talk about Kellen Moore making the move to the college Well, you know, I've said this for the longest, that Kellen Moore's offensive philosophy, his offensive philosophy, not anything that's influenced by – Jerry, uh, I mean Jason Garrett or Scott Linehan, but his offensive uh, philosophy fits a college team. Mm-hmm. You know, it would work in the NFL if he just used it. Yeah. But his philosophy works with a college program, and so I think it will be interesting for Kellen Moore to go back to a college setting. Uh, I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't be against it. I would actually like to see him in a college setting because then he gets more experience as a, as a head coach. And running a full team and an offense, and say he does that, okay, then you have a true shot at an NFL job. Yeah. Uh, but taking him from a the NFL job that he's in now and put him at another head coaching job in the NFL is is it's not a smart idea. Yeah, and we're gonna talk about that here in just a second. But yeah. just the move to Michigan, I think that would be a, a possible situation. I mean, you've got a young quarterback. Yeah, but young uh, quarterback. Yeah. You know, you got a, a, a Blake Corum is going to return at the running back position. Yeah. So you have some pieces there. But again, I go back to there's going to be a lot of pressure. If Jim Hormel leaves, there's going to be a lot of pressure with that Michigan job yeah. to continue your dominance over Ohio State. Yeah. And two, to put that school in a position that when the Big Ten changes, well, the landscape changes, that you're still yeah. at the well, top. Well, here's the big thing is do they want to keep that same offensive philosophy the pounding ground, uh, up-tempo run game. Yeah. Because... I think that influences who they get as their exactly. head coach. Yeah. Well, okay, if if you do that, and to kind of toss Kellen Moore back in the conversation here for a bit, you look at the plays that Kellen Moore run. They aren't, you know, the 5-10 the trick plays I say he has in his playbook, NFL playbook. If you look at those plays, the more, majority of those plays are run plays. They're rushing plays. They're not the plays where, you know, he's necessarily just airing it down the field. But those are like the triple reverse option, and all those type of plays. So if he was to go to Michigan, I do think he could still he could still establish that run game and make it even better, just add a little bit of his twist to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. that the, I think that hinges on who they look for. That, that's why I say they stay, they hire from within. If they don't hire with, from outside, they're going to hire – from the inside, they're going to keep the offensive coordinator. And I'd say they move him to head coach if, indeed, Jim Harbaugh, you know, makes his move to the NFL. Yeah, I, I think there's going to be a lot of moving pieces, like I said, not only for Michigan but for the Big Ten, you know, as a whole because you, you have one more year of the Big Ten as it is and then you've got these teams uh, coming in, potentially wanting to come in. So I think that that's going to be a big story for college football yeah. uh, moving forward. All right, turning our attention now to the NFL – uh, Lamar Jackson is up in the air about whether he's going to play the playoff game. And you're talking about a guy who was seeking you know, a contract. Is seeing a contract, and now there's reports uh, that 
insiders are doubting that he's going to be able to return from uh, his injury. So this is from NFL Networks wow. and Rappaport. Uh, That's... He said on the Pat McAfee show yesterday, Lamar Jackson has told people he'll be back, but people who have watched him aren't so sure. So there's some skepticism uh, that he's going to be able to play. He's missed five games so far, recovering from that sprain knee that he sustained in Week 13 uh, as they beat the Broncos. And that's kind of been the thing. This is a contract year for him. You know, he's been seeking reportedly a Kyler Murray type of contract. Mm -hmm. And I've said this from the beginning of this whole debacle with quarterbacks. I'm ready for an organization to go, you're good, but you're not that good. Now, is Lamar Jackson as good as Kyler Murray? Yes, I think so, because I think that Kyler Murray's overpaid. But do you overpay Lamar Jackson just because of the stupidity of the Arizona Cardinals? No. No way. That can't happen. Yeah, I don't... And, and so I think that if you're Baltimore, if he doesn't play, number one, you're probably not going to win the game. Right. Uh, number two, you've got to then uh, go and say, listen, you missed a playoff game. You know, that you're, you're supposed to be a, I understand it's due to, you know, a knee injury and all of that, but you still have to go back to him and go, this is a pattern. Uh, you know, he's had some nicks and, and, and bruises and things yeah. like that, which you're going to get with his style of play. We're not talking about a sit-back-in-the-pocket-pick-you-apart type of quarterback. We're talking about a quarterback whose game is based on his ability to run the football. Right. And when, when those type of quarterbacks start having knee problems, that's bad. So not only do you have that kind of an injury, but now you've got him not playing in the biggest game of the season against arguably the best team in the AFC. Uh, and so you, you've got to go back and say, listen, if you want a big contract, you're going to have to play in those playoff games. Yeah. I think that this leads to him being franchise tagged. I, I do too. I, I think we're going to well, see that, and maybe you get into a Kirk D. Cousins situation where it's year after year until right. he finally says, I've, I've had enough, send me somewhere else. Well, I say what Lamar Jackson is, I've said this before, is – you don't want to give someone a contract and they start getting hurt. We've seen it with Kyler Murray. We've seen it with Dak Prescott. Those type of quarterbacks, just like you said, when their game hinges on their ability to be able to be mobile mm-hmm. and then their ankles, their feet, knees, leg, anything of that starts bothering the nagging injuries, you have to really question, do you want to pay somebody that? to continue to have those type of issues. And Lamar Jackson has had those back-to-back nagging knee, ankle, all these, you know, injuries since he's been in the NFL. So you question that. Do you franchise tag him or do you tell him, you know, you know, no, we're not going to give you the contract? It's not saying that he's not as good as Kyler Murray, but it's it's like we need something different. Well, he's, he's also older. I mean, you have to consider that. Yeah. But but I think it's just a matter of what is your offensive philosophy going to be? Without and Lamar can Jackson. And can... But but if you're going to bring Lamar Jackson back, what's your offensive philosophy going to be? And Man. can he sustain that? Yeah. I think that's the questions that have to be answered before you give him a contract. And then... On top of that, if you give him a contract, you you don't do 
what uh, the Browns did with Deshaun Watson and give him all this guaranteed money, uh, which is one of the dumbest things that you could ever do, especially with a quarterback. But then you start having to put in incentives. Okay, you need to play X amount of games. He's missed five games, possibly a playoff game now. You need to play X amount of games. You need to win so many games. Maybe you, you put in Sims in you know, for a first-round playoff win or a wild card, whatever the case may be. Right. I think it's going to be an incentive-laden deal. I don't think he's going to get you know all of this guaranteed money that is floating around that all these players suddenly want. And I understand it. I understand why you want some guarantee there because yeah. you have situations like what happened tragically, you know, Monday night with DeMar Hamlin going down on the field. And thankfully, you know, Buffalo's going to honor that and pay him his $3.64 million. Uh, but but players are looking at everything now and going, okay, if we're putting ourselves on the line every single week, we want some guarantee, you know, that we're going to be able to take care of ourselves and take care of our families. No problem with that okay. at all. But where I do have a problem is why would you try and pigeonhole an organization when you're not that good? You haven't done, if you're Lamar Jackson, what has Lamar Jackson done to earn a $180 million, $200 million contract? Honestly. I mean, he, he does won things. A playoff game. Exactly. I mean, he does things that's unique. As yeah. far as his style of running and his style of play, but has that? But he hasn't earned. Ha, it. Is that what the NFL has come to? Is that you start uh, paying these players based off of their skills rather than their production? Well, I think that that's how they've started negotiating. You know, they, they've started negotiating. Uh, if you're Kyler Murray, okay, Kyler Murray walked in and said, "Okay, I've got one of the best arms in the league." Period. I don't study. Don't know anything about defense. Yeah. Don't know how to run offense, but I got one of the best terms in the but league. See, okay, we're going to pay you $108 million. The Cardinals had a chance to change all that if they had kept that stipulation in there yeah, instead gonna, of taking it out. We're going to touch on that with that job because yeah. that's interesting to me. Yeah. Because if you keep that in there, then you change the whole outview of the wrestling. Then you change the Lamar Jackson situation. Yes. Then you change the, 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 the Sean Watson situation. You change that if you keep that in there. And the, I, you know, the Browns started all this because they're the ones that gave all the guaranteed money to Deshaun Watson. So then Kyler Murray said, I want that kind of money. And Lamar Jackson said, well, if Kyler Murray's going to get that kind of money, I deserve that kind yeah. of money. Uh, and then you go back even further than that to Dak Prescott and all that money that Jerry Jones gave him. So it, it's, it's a domino effect. But like I said, I, I think that the Ravens may be the first organization to stand up and go, nope, not going to happen. You know, maybe later, maybe yeah. we come back to this, but we're going to put a pin in it. We're going to franchise tag you. You're going to have to go out and prove yourself uh, another year. But I just thought that was very interesting that now he's saying, I'm going to play. But there's people inside that organization going, we don't think so. That tells me that there's people who have seen him practice, seen him work out, so seen him in the trans room, and going, that's not a quarterback that's going to beat Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday. So I... I just thought that was very interesting, especially the timing of it, because that comes out on a Monday, mm -hmm. heading into the weekend. So now you've got all of this time to talk about it, to for opinions to be made. I'm sure that somewhere down the line during the week we're going to come back to this. I mean, I, I just thought everything is kind of lining up for Baltimore to say, you know what, you're not worth what you think you're worth, and we're going to put a pin in that, you know, and and uh, come back to it next season. Now, going to coaches' openings, yeah, a lot of them. We're gonna kind of touch on all of them here for just a moment. 
But that Broncos job right now is the job. That's the job that everybody's getting asked to interview for. Everybody's kind of putting their name in the, the ring for. Jim Harbaugh's taking an interview. Sean Payton's, they've requested, you know, to interview Sean Payton. There's still, I think, some talk about when they would schedule that. Dan Quinn is once again, you know, on the, the top of the list to possibly go there. Now, the, the three biggest names, Sean Payton, Jim Harbaugh, Dan Quinn. Yeah. Three biggest names so far, right? Mm-hmm. Two of those have been brought up by Russell Wilson. One of them have not. Jim Harbaugh is the odd man out. He's the one that, you know, yeah, Russell Wilson kind of touched on him, but Russell Wilson didn't endorse him. Russell Wilson has endorsed Sean Payton and, of course, his old buddy Dan Quinn, who was the offensive coordinator there uh, at... Defensive uh, I, I, I'm sorry, defensive coordinator there yeah. at Seattle. So he's clearly said, hey, listen, I'm open to this. So he was kind of asked. Uh, Kellen Moore is still being, I think, tossed around by... Denver, but he was asked about this, and he said, quote, Dan Quinn, I know him personally, too. He's an amazing coach as well, an amazing person, an amazing soul, a great leader. Okay. So you're you're still giving the keys to the kingdom to Russell Wilson. And and I, I said this, that they, they did that when they gave him the contract, but if you're Dan Quinn or you're Sean Payton, especially if you're Sean Payton, do you really want to inherit... That man. Heck no. Not with Russell Wilson the way he's playing right now. And But does Russ realize, you get Dan Quinn, do you realize Dan Quinn is a run-first head coach? So you're going to be doing exactly what you would be doing if you had just okay. simmered down and stayed in Seattle. Okay, but let's let's take a step back. Because right, I want to build off that comment right there, that you're going to go back to what you were doing. Exactly. Who's in the playoffs? Seattle. Who's not in the playoffs? Russell Wilson and the Broncos. Who took all the flack this season? Russell Wilson. If you bring in Dan Quinn and you run the football, who's that the may- pressure off of? Russell Wilson. Exactly. Russell Wilson is about Russell Wilson. And this came out during the season, you know, because he continued with the Broncos country. Let's ride. After getting beat 50 to nothing. The only thing he rode in Broncos country was the back of the ambulance. You know, so <laughs> so it's not like... <laughs> You know, he he necessarily <laughs> came in there and took them to new heights. Yeah. Okay. But he didn't make the Mile High Club. He <laughs> he's <laughs> looking around. And he's going, okay, this didn't work. I'm not as good of a chef as I once was or thought I could be. This this trying to be the face of the franchise isn't really working out. So what's my best option? It's to go back to what I did. Send you know, if out. I if I have to. Pull one out of my hat every once in a while in the fourth quarter. I can still kind of do that. But I'm not your four-quarter down-the-field quarterback. I'm not going to be able to do that. No. So he's got to be looking around. Now, nobody is going to turn down Sean Payton. If Sean Payton says he's interested, you're going to listen. You're going to be open to that possibility. I like what Ellen said when we had him on. I, I don't think that that's going to be his number one choice simply because they seem to be in as bad a shape as Houston. Right. And there's some questions about whether he would even be interested in Houston uh, outside of the fact that, yes, it would keep him in the South and, and all of those things, and you still have the possibility of getting Bryce Young even at the two spot. Yeah. But having said that, outside of Sean Payton, you go back to what you know. That's running the football. Even right. with Jim Harbaugh. What's Jim Harbaugh going to do? He's going to run the football. football. 
See, so I think that's why you're starting to hear these guys. Of course, Kellen Moore is still going to be in the mix because he was one of the top four or five, you know, finalists last year, and he's still interested uh, in some head coaching jobs. And I want to touch on that uh, more here in a minute. But just simply from a Denver perspective, I think you have to. If Sean Payton, you know, you have to talk to him. Yeah. But if Sean Payton looks at you and says, "Thank you, but no, thank you," I think your biggest pursuit, as good of a coach as Jim Harbaugh is, it's going to be Dan Quinn. Is going to be Dan Quinn because you already have that relationship. You've already got backing from Russell Wilson, whether and whether you like it or not, you're in that marriage. Yeah, you know, you're devoted. You're not trading him because that's that's ninety million dollars in cap space wasted. That's uh, you know somebody having to take on a contract. That somebody having to take on the issue. That's just not going to happen. Right. So I think you have to go get Dan Quinn. You have to see. You know he's going to continue to strengthen what is already a very good defense, borderline great defense in Denver. See what you can do with the run game and say, okay, Russ, let's go back to what you've done before, what made you a successful quarterback, and see what we can do next year. But you, you've got to do something because you're stuck. Right. No matter what, you, you're stuck. You have Russ for a while. But uh, Russ just simmers down in Seattle and say, okay, Pete, you're the coach. You know, I'm going to follow you. I'm follow your lead. I'm simmer down. I'm going to be your quarterback. They win that division. Yeah, easily. But him saying, "Well, I want to cook." What does that mean? You ain't cooked in the last five years. You know, you haven't cooked since the, you've been in the Super well, Bowl. The, well, the one time you tried to cook, it didn't go so well. You're the one who called the play down at the one and wanted <laughs> to throw the football. That, that, but it's almost as he wants this identity that he's not as a quarterback. Well, and in Seattle, he could put that out there. You know, nobody questioned it because they were still winning football games, and so you wanted to believe here's a good guy and all of this. But then the hole started to open up in Denver. We started to get a picture of how he was viewed not only within that organization but by former teammates who said, listen, this is the way he's always been. He just kind of covered it up, you know, while he was there in Seattle because we were winning football games and nobody really questioned it. And so I think that's why he's willing to make a shift here and go back to what he knows so that the pressure's off of him. Can't cook, get out of the kitchen. It's it's not just about what he knows, but it's who he is. If you go back to his years in Seattle, he never really threw the ball. Russ was more dangerous with his legs than he was with his arm. Mm. Yeah, he's always been that way. And what possessed him or struck him to say, I want to start throwing the ball more. It, and you know that's not what you do. Well, but it goes back, and this is the Tom Brady effect. So there's the LeBron effect on the NBA. This is the Tom Brady effect on the NFL. Tom Brady got out from under a hard-nosed football coach and said, okay, I'm going to run things my way. He, you know, all that, the 2020 season, he talked about how much fun he was having and he was finally enjoying playing football and you had all of this. And Russell Wilson is there in the box, commissioner's box, watching this. And from that point forward, there was a sense that Russ wants to cook. Russ wants to run the show. He went through one more year in Seattle, but then he got on the Dan Patrick show, you know, and famously said, hey, listen, I'm not happy this isn't the way I want to do things. They don't let me make the decisions. I want to make the decisions. So now you see why. Now you see why. 
But it goes back to that. That was where he looked and said, "If I, if he can do that, I can do that." But, and everybody, and and it goes feeds off to Aaron Rodgers too, that all of these quarterbacks watched what Tom Brady did and thought, "Well, if I can just go to greener pastures and I can call the shots, I can solidify my legacy as a franchise quarterback." But that's the difference between Aaron, Aaron Rodgers and and Russell Wilson is Aaron Rodgers has the credentials to be able to do that. Yeah. He has the arm to be able to do that, to call the shots, to make the plays. Russell Wilson does it. And so what possessed Russell Wilson at this point in his, in his career is even say anything like that. To even look at that and say, I can do that. You've never been able to do it. They, I mean, that's, that's the thing. And barring your teammates, your former teammates, the one time you did do it, you ruined it. You messed up. You ruined the Super Bowl. You know? Yeah, you lost. You it. lost it on a one yard line. You would run that ball, right? Yeah. With Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, the best back. back in the league, and you throw the football. Yeah, you throw it on a one yard. Like why? So the one time you do that and you lose Super Bowl, why are you now so late in your career? Just saying, okay, I want to cook. I want to throw the ball more. I want to go to someone. I don't want. I'm tired of running. You're but it getting, goes back to what I said. You know, we're saying, well, why this late in your career? But according to Richard Sherman, Marshawn Lynch, and some others that were in that locker room, this is the way he's always been. But it was always just kind of covered up by, you know, the Legion of Boom or by the fact that they were winning football games and everybody, you know, was looking at Pete Carroll. So it wasn't all about Russ. And now he's exposed. You know, now he's the guy at the press conferences having to answer the questions. He's the guy with the big contract. He's the one saying, Broncos country... Let's ride. You know, it's setting these expectations that now he's not able to meet. So I, that's why I find it very interesting that Dan Quinn, Jim Harbaugh seem to be the two leading candidates outside of Sean Payton for this job because it, it indicates to me that Russ is wanting to take a step back and say, I can't take the pressure, so I'm going to get out of the kitchen. You do your thing. I'll hand off the football. If you need me to pull one out in the fourth quarter, I'll do that. But it seems to indicate that, hey, listen, this didn't work. This was a, a bad idea. Uh, clearly shows that Seattle made the right choice yeah. and holding on to Pete Carroll, which and, at the time everybody thought was insane. Yeah. Uh, but that's worked out. And so we'll see who wants that Denver job. Who want, who can handle that? And that's why you do get the sense that Dan Quinn's probably the number one guy. He's already got that relationship. Russ seems open to listen. We'll see. But he clearly wanted to move on from Nathaniel Hackett. That just that wasn't working. They didn't mesh. Nathaniel Hackett was in over his head. Uh, so we'll we'll see. But then you you look at other jobs around the league. Cliff Kingsbury, as soon as the show was over at about eleven ten yesterday, uh, he gets fired, which we all saw coming. The GM steps down, so it's going to be a complete rebuild uh, there in Arizona. Just Sean Payton look at that job and say, hey. That's Kyler Murray. I think I can talk him into watching film. That's a talented quarterback. I'm, you know, interested in that job. Or who would be interested in that job? Who looks at that and goes, I want to handle that situation? We go back to what we talked about with Kyler Murray. All last, uh, all season, you know, we talked about the contract negotiations and then it was leaked about, you know, the clause that he needed to study more because he was playing Call of Duty too much. They took too much heat, so they take the claws out. And you watch him play, and it sure doesn't look like he knows what the defense is doing. Yeah. Uh, it, so it, you're inheriting a mess. 
from the top down, it's a mess. You don't have a GM. You don't have a lot of draft capital. You're not sitting, you know, pretty in the draft to go get a whole lot. Um, that's interesting. J.J. Watt's gone. You're going to have to replace him. Uh, uh, you know, granted, that was an older J.J. Well, okay, Watt, yeah. but you're still replacing Okay, him. but that, you know, which it, does by the way, it, how did Cliff Kingsbury ever get that job? We're talking about nobody, a guy who couldn't win at Texas Tech. But okay. you asked that question. You asked that question. Will, okay, say Sean Payton get that job. Will he be able to convince uh, Kyler Murray, like, you need to watch film, you need to study film, or like, anybody, will they be able to convince him to do that? Because if it was such an issue the first time, what changes this time? Does it does it the the realization we had a horrible season because I failed to do my job as a leader and a quarterback of this and the captain of this team, and I ended up getting hurt, not because of that, but you put yourself in a position for that to happen. Mm. Because Kyler Murray, just like Lamar Jackson, he's good on his feet. But he's also a very talented quarterback. He has a great in arm. In his own right. I mean, yeah. he, he did things but, when he was in high school with his arm. It wasn't just him. You know, everybody thinks when he was in high school that didn't get to watch him like we did, you know, yeah. those state championship ball games uh, because they're televised here in Texas. Yeah. You know, they think, oh, well, he probably just ran around like that. No, he, he no, used he, his arm. Yes. Uh, they used him as a regular. Now, he, granted, they used his legs, but they used him like a regular quarterback. He yes. knows how to do it. But I think it's a matter of does he want to? How committed is he to being a well, a legitimate top end NFL quarterback? And I said this yesterday after the show, um, is that if he would just do that, if he would add that extra hour or however many hours into looking at go, going over film, hey, if you need to go over with your teammates, your offensive line, your your de- your defensive back, your linebacker. But to get you started, but do something because you're too good of a quarterback to just allow your career for one to go to waste and the other and then two, your teammates because you failed to be the captain that they need and you're well capable of doing it. Oh, very so, much. So. so I think if he does that, you're looking at a different Cardinals team. You're looking at a different offensive offensive scheme and philosophy because now, oh well. I can't read the defense, so now I got to run outside the pocket. Yeah, and make something. You're happen. not picking up. Cover- there right. was there was multiple times where he wasn't picking up disguise coverage exactly. at all. If they were going to drop a linebacker or they were going to roll a safety down, he had no clue what was going on on the back end of a defense. Yeah, and that comes from a lack of him. So I think it's going to be a question of who wants to inherit that. Who thinks that they can get him to listen? It's not going to be a defensive-minded football coach. No. He's not going to do that. So I think you have to. And that puts your your organization now in a precarious situation because you can only, at that point, interview certain types of head football coaches. Right. They have to have a certain type of attitude, a certain type of philosophy, and they've got to be a guy who can come in there and calm down that franchise quarterback and say, listen, you're getting paid all the big bucks, so you need to start playing like that. You've got to be a guy who... Uh, you know, is a leader off the field who studies and plays up to your potential. I, but then from the Cliff Kingsbury side, interestingly enough, there are now rumors being flitted around that if Bill O'Brien goes to New England to be the offensive coordinator, 
Cliff Kingsbury's going to Alabama to Nick Saban's uh, coaching rehab. <laughs> Do you think it can be turned around? With his career, yes. I think he could be a good, he's a great offensive-minded football coach. No doubt. I mean, he's going to put up points, but he's not a head football coach. Because he's, I'll I'll liken it to this. For you East Texas people, you'll get this. If you're not from East Texas, just bear with me. Jeff Trailer's biggest issue as a head football coach and he, he doesn't have it as much at UTSA because he's kind of balanced things out over there. His biggest issue at Gilmer, the only reason he didn't have eight, nine, ten state championships is because his philosophy was And I think if you're Cliff Kingsbury, you just go back to being an offensive coordinator where all you got to worry about is scoring the points. And maybe you learn something from Nick Saban. Yeah. I mean, it worked for Lane Kiffin. It's worked uh, for, uh, uh, his name's escaping me right now, Te- uh, Steve Sarkeesian in yeah. Texas. Okay, well, yeah. I mean, it's worked in the past. And with Steve Sarkeesian, we actually saw him go to the NFL. You know, after leaving Alabama, coming back to Alabama, then getting that head job at UT. So it's worked before. I think it's an interesting possibility, you know, because you're still going to be able to run a wide-open kind of offense. Uh, You know, you've got Nick Saban there. Now you bring in Cliff Kingsbury, so you're going to be able to recruit another top-end quarterback. All, All of those things... I think it's an interesting possibility. And if you're Cliff Kingsbury, you're not getting another NFL job. That's not happening. So you've got to look around and say, okay, do I want to go to Michigan? Probably not. So that's going to be your last kind of foray into possibly being a head coach you know, at the college level. So now what, what do I do? Where is my best fit you know, as an offensive coordinator? I think Alabama's yeah, a good yeah. choice. Well, if you get the opportunity to coach alongside – Nick Saban, who we said earlier in the show is, you know, one of the greatest college football or football coaches in the nation, in the world. You take that opportunity. Yeah. Because you he, nobody, t- nobody picks up, the- yeah, Nick, I don't think I'm going to take that job. Yeah. Like, you don't, you don't no, do you, that. You take, we just seen a guy yesterday who was under Nick Saban beat a team 65-7 in the national and championship. dominate. Yes. And so you don't pass on that opportunity. You take that opportunity and you soak in as much knowledge as you can, um, for for Cliff, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, yeah, it's it's over for him in, in NFL. Sorry to say, but you couldn't get a a team who the year before was a true contender. You couldn't get them going 
this season? What changed? And that's my biggest question is what changed? Because the Cardinals went from being a top contender, one of the top contenders last year, to this year being one of the laughing stocks. Yeah. You know, it it, it didn't make it any better in the offseason with the whole contract thing with Kyler Murray, but it just proved its point in in the when the season got got going. Mm-hmm. And so I say you put that you leave that clause in there. Going back to that, you leave that clause in there and you have possibly have a better season than what you had this year. And then we wouldn't have this conversation, okay, where will he end up? Or the GM stepping down. But you have a better season and you possibly make the playoffs. You possibly possibly win your division, make the playoffs, and who knows what happens then. Um but you get a better Kyler Murray out of the deal. Yeah. So I, I think it's going to be something not only to see who goes to Arizona and inherits, uh, you know, the Kyler Murray situation, that entire setup there, but also uh, to see maybe does Cliff Kingsbury wind up in Alabama should Bill Bryan, you know, decide to depart and enter back into the NFL. Now there's a, a other head coach openings, obviously, in the NFL. You've got the, the job in Carolina, which also, you know, reportedly interests Sean Payton. It interested Jim Harbaugh enough. He didn't get a formal interview, but he did have a conversation, you know, with Dave Tepper. They are going to interview their interim coach, Steve Wilkes, who had that team playing hard, you know, and yeah. had them in position to possibly make the playoffs. Uh, so you've got that job opening. And then you've got the Indianapolis Colts opening. And here's the thing about that. You you brought in Jeff Saturday. That went south real quick and in a hurry. He wins his first game and then went downhill quickly. Yeah. But he's still pushing to keep that job. And he what, said man? yesterday, he said, listen, if I get this job, this is his quote uh, yesterday. He said he has a clear idea of what he would do with a full-time job and that things would operate much differently uh Given the if given the chance uh, to build what he wants rather than inherit the framework of the team the way he did this year, if I get this job, there's going to be significant change. The way I do things is not the way it's been done. Saturday said via Joel A. Erickson of the Indianapolis Star. So he's still, but what he, if you were going to make these changes, you have to believe that Jim Irsay told him, "Here's the keys." You know, like if you're doing something that wild. You've got to believe that he I had the, the opportunity to do that, right? I have a few things that he could do differently. One of them is... Learn how to be an NFL head coach, first off. That's not even the number one. Number one thing is building a freaking second-half game plan. You didn't have that at all. No. I mean... You blew the largest lead in, in NFL, NFL history, history, and you're still wanting to fight for a head coaching job? Yeah. I mean... Against a relatively good, against a uh, the number two, number three seed in the NFC. Yeah, you. I mean, come on, that game was handed to you in the bread basket, and you you dropped it and said no, thank you, and you just stopped playing. You only scored three points in the second half to your thirty three in the first. So build a solid second half game plan. First off, second off. Get you somebody, or if you if you if you really want to stay at this job and they give you the opportunity, find you somebody to mentor you. Because just because you played in the NFL and coached at a little high school, doesn't yeah. mean that you're ready for the NFL. And that's where the coach messed up is they gave him a chance based off of his name and that he played 
uh, uh, played with Peyton Manning, and he's a, a future Hall of Famer. You know? Yeah. And so... That's it. That's it. And so that's the same issue that Houston may very well run into. If they, if hire, they do go with Josh yeah. McCown. But, you know, that's what Ellen was saying when we interviewed him earlier in the show, that, hey, listen, that whole situation in Indianapolis is kind of causing yeah. to sour a little bit on yeah. a type of move like that. But not only did it mess up any uh, talks like that, but it also ruined Jeff Saturday's chant. Like, now you look at him, if he doesn't get this job, he's not getting a job. No, because he wasn't ready. That, and that's what I'm saying is, you got, you put a guy out there, and I said this yesterday, you put a guy out there who wasn't ready, and you ruined his chances of ever getting a coaching job again. Yeah. Anywhere. Even if, even if he goes back down to high school, some some high school seniors can look at him and go, well, you couldn't win in the NFL. Yeah. Like, I watched you blow a lead on television. <laughs> like you know, you, here we go again. Right. All, all of those type things. So I just think that it was a bad situation. I think Jim Irsay made a terrible decision, which, I mean, what can we expect from him at this point? Uh, he's kind of turned Indianapolis into a clown show. But we'll see, you know, does Saturday keep that job? If not, who's interested uh, because Saturday still hadn't even had an interview set up, so we'll we'll see where that goes. Another name, you know, that w- we talked about earlier, that's in the coaching cycle, not for a head coaching job, but who got axed, uh, kind of ahead of the coaching carousel, was Nathaniel Hackett. There was a report uh, put out yesterday by Rob Domofsky Dem- um, of ESPN, who reported that Packers head coach Matt Lafleur said he reached out to Hackett about a potential return. LaFleur said, quote, quote, I know he needs some family time. Domofsky yeah. suggested such a move could be tied to LaFleur eventually giving up play-calling responsibilities to focus more on overseeing the entire team. Now, here's where this is a big deal to me. Everybody knows that Aaron Rodgers and Nathaniel Hackett have a very good relationship yes. to the point that Aaron Rodgers was kind of the leading guy to go to Denver. Right. Russell Wilson was choice B. You know, when it didn't work out with the Packers and uh, Rodgers, you know, getting moved. So, there's a good relationship there. We talked yesterday, it appears that Aaron Rodgers is like, sayonara, had fun, see you later. But this is kind of, seems to be LaFleur's last ditch effort to say, hey, let's calm down, take a deep breath. I'm going to bring in your best buddy again. He's going to call, not only that, he's going to call the plays. You're going to get to do, to run the offense how you want to run it, but you stay here and let's finish out this contract. Yeah. So that's going to hinge not only on what Nathaniel Hackett does, but maybe possibly you know what we see with Aaron Rodgers. Does Aaron Rodgers return not only to Green Bay, does Aaron Rodgers still want to play football? And that's going to be the interesting thing yeah, to watch. I, I, I looked and I listened to Aaron Rodgers uh, during the press conference after the game. And I told you, he it's like he's mentally checked out of Green Bay and possibly even football. Um, and it's sad because of the way it happened because that was their chance to make it into the playoff. That was his chance to probably get the blood back flowing, that energy to that team. And they lost it by the account of his own, of their of each other. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't anything that the Lions did. The Lions played a good game, a great game. But the Packers lost that game on account of themselves. Um, and you possibly ruined it for Aaron Rodgers. You ruined it, you know, uh, a guy's, not his career, but, you know, his his passion 
Because Aaron yeah. Rodgers was pro Green Bay for the longest. Yeah, and had a great relationship yeah. with the fans. And and now it's like is that is non-existent. I mean, you you can barely even see it in you don't see it in his eyes at all anymore. It's gone. Yeah. But this hit me as you know you was talking about Matt, you know uh, Lafleur, and then uh, Hack. Uh, what's his Nathaniel Hackett? Yeah, Hackett. I almost called him Hacky. <laughs> uh, Hacky sack. But um, Nathaniel Hackett is. I've never seen in football, and if I have, it's been a long while, in NFL football where there's so many head coaching positions that are open. Yeah, it, it's you know, mean, been two it's, or three, you know, yeah. but this is several now. You've got Denver's open, uh, Indianapolis is open, Carolina's open, Dallas may be open. Yeah. Uh, you're looking around. Uh, I'm missing one opening. Arizona. Uh, Arizona's open. L.A. may become open. So, yeah. I mean, you're going to have a, a lot of moving pieces. And uh, we'll see. Does Eric B. Enemy get another shot? So, a lot that we're going to continue. Uh, that's the thing about the NFL. That's why the NFL dominates the news cycle. Because it never ends. Right. The season, regular season's over. So, we're talking about playoffs. Right. But then we're still talking about coaches. And we're still talking about potential play. I mean, it's a it's a constant cycle. As soon as we get done with that, we're going to be talking about the draft. I yeah. mean, it, it, they own the news cycle. Credit to the NFL. But there is another, some other sports out there, of course. And uh, some things are going on in Major League Baseball. It's up and moving uh, again. It's up yeah. And again. Yeah. You know, we're seeing <laughs> some, some things finish out uh, there with free agency as we're getting ready for spring training. Carlos Correa's contract... Uh, those negotiations continue. Do the Mets want to bring him back or, 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 or bring him in? You know, are they still committed? He's still talking to them, but then his agent Scott Boris is coming out and saying, well, now we've got other interested teams. It was reported that now the Minnesota Twins, who he just opted out of the contract with, have come back and said, hey, we're still interested. They have previously offered him a 10-year, $285 million contract. And this was them knowing about... The shin situation, the plate that's in there—that's what all of this is about—is a slide in September mm. where he slid into second base. Uh, he hit that shin. The shin went numb because of the plate rubbing up against the nerve there, and so there's some concern about: Hey, if we give this guy a 13-year, 300 million dollar contract, what are we going to get in the back end? So you would think, you know, the Twins already knew about this. Mm-hmm. They knew about the plate. He played a whole season for them, so if they're willing to give him the two ten year two hundred eighty five million dollar deal, you would think he could quickly pivot back to them. Now the question that the the Twins rather are going to have to answer is: Okay, if all these other teams are concerned, should we go back and reevaluate? That and and here's the thing: here's the downside to all of the money being thrown around in sports in general, but especially in Major League Baseball, because baseball is highly uh, guaranteed money. Right. Uh, A lot of that is going to be guaranteed money in these contracts. But for the last four, five, six years especially, I mean, it started out in some before this, but for the last five or six years especially, we've seen contract after contract after contract of 10, 13-year deals, you know, anywhere from 200 to 350 million, 400 million dollars just being given. Right. So Correa looked at that and he said, "Listen, I'm the best shortstop, if not the best, one of the best shortstops in all of Major League Baseball." 
at my age, I deserve that kind of a contract. And given the statistics, that's true. Yeah. But you look at Albert Pujols, who started all of this when he went to the uh, the Angels, and he got that long contract, and by the end of it, they were like, this isn't working, we're going to cut you, we're going to pay you off. You go right after your career elsewhere. You know, he signed at the back end of that season with the Dodgers, then went on to finish his career this past season uh, there in St. Louis. But, but I think teams are starting to look and go, okay, we need to look more seriously at these guys' physical conditions, not just for this year or next year, yeah. but the back end of that contract. Do you really want to be paying Carlos Correa into his 40s given the fact that you already know there's something there that could potentially be an issue? We know it hasn't been an issue up to this point necessarily, but it could be. And I think you're going to see more caution now with these players and these long-term deals because they're going to look and say, okay, if that's a nagging issue, we really don't want to hinder our franchise. That goes back to what I was saying, giving contracts based off of skill rather than productivity. is because you're looking at that. They knew knew about this injury. It was sort of like a, a last-ditch effort. You know, okay, we're going to take a chance on this guy to see if he, to see if he can be who he is. But you also have to take into consideration a shin injury is very serious. I mean, that's not something like you can just, you know, write off. Yeah. You know, one bad slide again. And, and this who, happened when he was in the minor leagues yeah. even prior to coming up. But it's, I mean, and it seemingly was not an issue at all. And then suddenly he, he, he slid into second it, base exactly. and it kind of reappeared. Yeah. And so after all those years, you don't think, you, you would think that, Okay, we're gonna we're gonna halt on the, the the big contract. We're gonna, you know, kind of see what more can you do, and how long. I mean, if this injury will continue to be a nagging situation, but you can't continue to give out these big contracts based off of you know skill. Oh well, he's a good player, so or so we're just gonna we're gonna pay out a hundred plus million dollars, or in baseball terms. 300 plus million. You know, well, it's well, not worth the, it. Especially in Major League Baseball, these franchises have got to start looking at the long-term effect that those exactly. kind of contracts have on your organization. You know, they affect how much money is available later on in free agency. They affect trade uh, values at different times, which in turn affects your ability to draft yeah. in certain positions. I mean, so, th- there's a lot that goes into these long-term deals. If you give a guy a 10 15-year uh, deal, you better be sure that that's your guy. Yeah. That he's going to be the face of your franchise for well, the next decade. that's just like, you know, uh, this year, shortly after this, uh, the season ended, where Aaron Judge was demanding a nine-year, uh, how much? He got more than that. Yeah, he well, getting over 10 years. Yeah, so, I love the Yankees. That's my team. But, Given his productivity in the playoffs and that slump that he never got off, that got all out of, play, yeah, and that was atrocious. Yes, and so are you sure? While when they gave him the contract, I was like, okay, good, you know, they got him. But after really thinking about it, are you sure that that's what you want? Is he going to continue to be that Aaron Judge that he mm-hmm. was this past season? Yeah, you know, is he going to continue to be that? Well, you know that he's not going to hit that historic clip with the, well, the yeah, home runs. But can he can he be, be sustainable? And that's the question. Yeah, and, and, and nobody has an answer. 
So I think that now, especially this Carlos Correa thing, is starting to show these teams, press the brakes, Yeah, let's actually evaluate the long term. How do you do that? I mean, you... You, how do you hand out these long-term deals and you're not even sure? Well, you're because, not standing on... Because uh, it happened once, and after it happened once, now these players are, give me this or else. And the, and there's always... Here's the thing. There's always going to be an owner who says, I don't care what it takes, but I want the publicity of having that guy on my team. And as long as there's the one... Seats. Exactly. And as long as there's one... It's gonna set the market, and that it's that's just the way it is. Well, but another interesting story is Trevor Bauer. So Trevor Bauer uh, has been a Cy Young Award candidate, mm. uh, very good pitcher. Uh, kind of got off to a slower start than expected as a younger player, but matured uh, into a, a very good, dominating pitcher there in Cleveland, and then he wound up with the Dodgers. Uh, uh, bounced around. Did well in Cincinnati prior to, to going to Cleveland. So, did some, some good things. Uh, but, yeah, the allegations. Sexual assault, of course. He was given the longest suspension in pro sports history. It was 365 games, I believe, was the, the bopping total. Hey. He's had that trimmed down now to 194 games by an arbitrator. So, therefore, he is now eligible to play. Uh, immediately, the Dodgers, who he was still under contract with, have... Placing on waivers. They don't want him in the building. You had a judge who threw out the case against him, said, listen, there's no proof of sexual assault. Uh, it appears to be a consensual deal where the woman got mad and accused. I don't, there's a lot of legalities oh, to this. Yeah. But we're right back where we were with Deshaun Watson. Yeah. that And that's, a, and especially when you throw in the, uh, the clause that the woman was upset. It was a, it, then it gets messy, okay? Yep. So now you have to dig. What's the truth? And it's going to take all this extra stuff. And that's why I was glad when the Deshaun Watson stuff was seemingly over with. As we know now, it's not quite over with. There's no. still some other stuff that is still that stuff that are still coming out. The even the women that have received their settlement are still nagging at it. They're still picking at it. Yeah. And so these kind of cases. They will always rear their ugly heads because they're never completely solved. Because there will continue to be other stories and other allegations and other and sides and views that'll come out. If this is if this is true, that and since this case has been thrown out, but it's true that okay, she lied. Um, nothing really happened. She was upset because of some other stuff that happened in the relationship or whatever. Then now you have to go back and now you have to. You're looking at possibly wrongfully suspension because you, I mean, at, yeah. that, at that point. Well, they're saying that regardless, just due to the situation, that it was in violation of their okay, domestic the, abuse. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I know, but that's that's the choice. So, given that path, he's only 31 years of age, by the way. Still a young pitcher. Right. Still a dominating arm, got an explosive fastball, good breaking pitches. I mean, he's oh, still a, a top end of the rotation kind of guy, but it's going to come down to but who how is you... willing to take on yeah. that PR. How, how, but how do you – that's the same thing with the NFL. Because Roger Goodell did the same thing with uh, Ezekiel Elliott. Well, I know. He, you know, and the, the case NFL was closed. set the trend, though. And all of the other leagues have followed the suit. We saw it in the NBA with MA Udoka. We've, we're seeing it with, you know, Trevor Bauer in Major League Baseball. You still have situations arise in the NFL. 
So that one handling has set the tone now for how teams are going to handle these things moving forward. So I think that's that's another thing, another situation to kind of keep an eye on because that's going to be interesting who's going to take him on and uh, the fallout from that. But we hope you've enjoyed the show. Hope yep. you've learned some things. We sure did, you know, through our interview. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, of course, at 9 a.m., breaking down more sports news. I want to go over some things that we heard today uh, in the interview uh, that they are intriguing to me. And so join us here on Facebook. If you can't catch us here live, you can always uh, go back and watch the show or uh, get us wherever you watch your podcast. Have a great day. We'll see you in the morning. Peace.